Thank you, brothers. Good morning, Abundant Life. When we get to heaven, that's one of my favorite instruments, the trumpet. It says the trumpets are going to sound, and we're going to be welcomed into the pearly gates. And we get a glimpse of that when we are on, uh, on earth. So uh, um, just a couple of things uh, very quickly before I introduce uh, today's guests. Uh, we are a family that prays together, and uh, we had a number of prayer requests, but I also want to recognize uh, and pray for Pastor Eric and his family. His daughter has been sick and in the hospital, and he told me this morning our sister Shawnice has been in the hospital 36 hours, I think. So um, we, a family that prays together stays together, right? And we are a family, uh, and we can be praying for them this weekend and loving on, loving on them. And Brother Eric and your family, we, we love you, and we're praying that Zaria will have a speedy recovery. I also want to praise God. Uh, we allowed the... Uh, volunteers and the staff of Safari Kids to take their well-deserved Labor Day weekend off. So it's a pleasure to see many of you bring your children into church. And I just want to welcome all the children. Can we give them a hand for, for being a church? You know, having a Sunday school of Safari Kids is a first world luxury. Okay? Uh, I don't, you know, when I read through the scriptures in the New Testament, I don't see Jesus going to Safari Kids. So we are very privileged that we have an opportunity. Uh, growing up myself, I sat through church every Sunday. So it's a, I want the, all the children who are here to know that um, the church of God is the safest place you will ever find. Whatever happens on the playground, what happens at the school, you are safe in this uh, body, uh, not just in the sanctuary. Uh, and it's a tremendous thing when we can train up our children. It says, Proverbs, train up your children when they're young. And when they're old, they will know the way to go. So my prayer for every one of you children today is that you will grow up to be a disciple of Jesus. That's the most important gift we can pray for every one of our children. So I'm just thankful that all of you are here and are sitting quietly through. Now, uh, as you know, we've had a, a, the real joy of, of partnering with a number of different churches in the Silicon Valley that we have a kindred spirit with, uh, pastors and elders that we respect, and many of them over the course of the last 18 months have been here and blessed us. And with that same mind, uh, we're just delighted today to to welcome Pastor Andy Wood uh, from South Bay Church. They have two locations, one in Sa San Jose and Sunnyvale. And as I've got to know Pastor Andy over the last 18, 24 months in connection with Transform the Bay for Christ, just loved his heart. He's one of the young, dynamic pastors uh, off the Silicon Valley. I think moved here five or six years ago. He'll hopefully tell us his story. Uh, and he and his wife and three children uh, have got a passion for the Lord, for teaching the Word, for leadership, um, and just in a way that's been very, very special. It's great to see what the Lord's doing in, in South Bay Church. I think there's a lot that we can continue to learn and fellowship, and with that in mind, we're just delighted to have him here. Let's give a warm, abundant life welcome to Pastor Andy. Good to be with you. Well, good morning. So um, let me tell you a little secret of guest speakers, just in case you didn't know this. So whenever a church has guest speakers, they rank the guest speakers, and they take the list, and they say, okay, this is the best speaker, this is like John Ortberg level, and then they rank them all the way down, and then they put the one at the bottom of the list on Labor Day. So anyways, I just wanted to <laughs> let you know that. So good to be with you this weekend. I, I hear a rumor about you that you will talk back to me. Is that true? 
Okay. Sometimes I have such a difficult time getting our church to interact. I'll, I'll say, you can say amen, you can say that's right, but I hear you do that here every week. Is that right? Yeah. All right, all right. Hey, today I want to talk to you specifically about the subject of fighting for unity. My message title today is The Fight for Unity. How many of you know that God cares about unity in His church and in families? in businesses and organizations. And I just wonder if you've ever been a part of a, of a team, of a place at work, of a sports team that wasn't unified. Anybody ever been a part of a team like that? It's amazing, isn't it? When a team is not unified, they'll play like the 49ers or the Oakland Raiders. Um, when, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I offend everybody at the beginning, beginning of the message and it all goes uphill from there. But you know, it's, it's amazing when a team is not unified, they will, they will find things to fight over. When a team is not unified, people don't trust each other. They, they gossip about one another. You know this at your place of work because if this is happening at your place of work, everybody's outside on their smoke break gossiping about somebody else on the team while somebody else is inside doing the work. We know what it's like to be a part of a team that is not unified. And all of us have had some experiences that are positive on teams. And when we're a part of a team that is unified, that is collectively together around a mission, people trust each other. They fight fair. They, they have arguments, but they do it behind closed doors. And then when they come out, they're one together. And God desires in his heart for his church to be one. In fact, we've been looking over the last uh, six to seven weeks at South Bay at some of our core values. And this message I'm going to deliver to you today is one that I shared a couple weeks ago at South Bay, specifically around the subject of unity. Now, I don't want to create any wrongful sense of pressure with you today, but last time at South Bay when I preached this message, there was a young gentleman that came up to me after the service and wanted to know if he could propose to his girlfriend at the end of the service. So right there on the stage in the middle of the service, some young man proposed to a girl. So I just I wanted to throw that out there in case anybody wanted to do that. Today we're going to look at John chapter 17, and we are going to look at a prayer that Jesus specifically prays for unity in his church. And we're going to learn today through Jesus' words how to fight for unity, how to fight for unity in our homes, how to fight for unity in our business places, how to fight for unity ultimately in the church. And you know, oftentimes when I'm, when I'm reading through the teachings of Jesus, I wonder what it must have been like to be in his shoes or to be one of his disciples, to be with him in some of these moments where he would take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he would multiply them and feed thousands of people, or when he would take a little girl who had been dead and bring her back to life, it must have been so amazing to be in his presence. And oftentimes I wonder what he felt in those final moments before he was going to a cross for the sins of the world, knowing that he was going to lay down his life on a rugged cross for you and for me. And today we're going to look at what Jesus was thinking. We're going to look at what he was praying in those moments right before he knew he was going to give his very life. And we're going to see this prayer that he prays back to his heavenly father. Now, I want us to notice today as we're looking at this prayer, this was not one of those like casual prayers that we pray at the end of the day for our children, you know, like now I lay me down to sleep. You know that? prayer. If you know it, can you say it with me? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before... Oh my gosh, that is the worst prayer 
I have ever heard in my entire life. Somebody sent me a plaque. Of, uh, this is total ADD moment, but somebody sent a plaque to us that, that had that prayer on it. And I said, I, I'm going to throw that, that prayer away. I am not going to put a prayer on my kid's wall that says, if I die before I wake. I'm just not going to do it. So anyways, this prayer is not a casual prayer that Jesus is praying. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed in agony from the depth of his soul. This is a prayer that Jesus, it's believed, was literally sweating drops of blood. He is praying with such fervor, with such passion, with, with such intensity. And I want us to get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus, of what is on his mind in the last moments of his days here on planet Earth. We're going to pick up the prayer in verse number 15 of John chapter 17. Jesus says this, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Jesus specifically is starting his prayer, and he's praying for his disciples, the, the 12 men that would travel with him. And Jesus says, I, I pray, Father, not that you remove them from difficulty, not that you take them away from temptation and trial, because Jesus understood there would be opposition in this world. In fact, he, he said to his disciples, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. How many of you ever experienced a little bit of trouble in your life? Some, some difficulty, some trial. And Jesus says, I, I, I pray, Father, not that you remove the temptation, not that you take them out of the difficulty, but that you give them the strength, the power, the ability to persevere in the midst of the trial. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. There is an evil one whose whole ambition is to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. Everything that God wants to do in your marriage, everything that God wants to do through you in your career, there is an enemy that his whole goal is to take life away from you. And Jesus is praying for the protection of his disciples against this destruction. But then Jesus takes it up another level. He takes it up one notch and he goes from his disciples and then watch what he does next as we go into verse number 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I want us to notice something. This is, this is so unbelievable. In Jesus' final moments here on earth, right before he's about to be crucified, Jesus is literally praying not just for his disciples, but for everybody who would believe in him through their message. Who's that? That's you and me. That's us together. Now, I think somebody came here today and you, you don't feel very significant. You got some stuff in the closet, some things in your past. There's some brokenness that you'd like to cover up and you just got your way through the doors of the church today. And God brought you here for a specific reason to remind you of the fact that you are significant. In fact, as we sing songs of the, the depth and the width and the magnificent love of an amazing God, that it's not this general love of God, it's a specific love from God to you today that he knows you, he sees you, he knows your struggle, and he loves you. And today, right now, he wants to remind you of that love. He was praying for you before he was about to be crucified. He had you on his heart. The last thought in his mind was you before he went to a cross. My prayer is not for the disciples alone, but for everyone who will believe in me through their message. Now, his prayer was very specific, too. It wasn't just a general prayer. He says, I pray, Father, that you would make 
all of them one. Not just some of them one, not just a couple churches, not just a couple believers, but that they would all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, Jesus understood He had a vision. Jesus was the greatest leader to ever walk on the face of the planet. And he understood that if his church were unified, if his believers, if his followers were together around one common vision, around one common mission, that it would literally become an unstoppable force that the enemy could not stand in the way of. And I want us to write this down if you're taking notes today, that the unity of the church, the the transformation of the world is dependent upon the unity of the church. Jesus is making a statement in his prayer, literally, and in this passage we can see that the transformation of the world is dependent upon the unity of the church. And Jesus is praying, Father, make them one, help them be together, help them have a common vision, a common purpose that they are about. Because he understood that if we were one, if we were together, orphans would be brought into families If we were together, divorces would be reconciled. If we were together, if we were one, there were people who are in poverty that would be brought in to to being cared for and loved for. If If we were one, injustice would be eradicated. If we are one together, literally, Jesus says, there will be no force that can stand in their way. So, Father, this is my prayer before I go to a cross. Will you make them one? Now, Jesus prayed for unity but we're going to have to fight for it. In fact, when, when I started in ministry about 16 years ago, the l- little less than half of my life, I just wanted to age myself here so you know. Um, when I started in ministry, I just thought Christians would get along. I just, I just, I don't know why. I just, I thought, I thought it would work out where we, we, we see eye to eye and we, we're on the same team. And, but I, I guess it, I was very wrong. Every church I've been a part of, every team I've been a part of, I've realized that the fight for unity, it's, it's not a casual battle. It's one that flows from the destruction, destructive nature within. There's an enemy from without that his whole goal is to divide the church. And Jesus prays for it. And we're going to learn through Jesus' words how we as his followers can fight for unity. So if you're taking notes, I want to share with you today three specific things that we can do as Jesus followers to fight for unity. Listen to Jesus as he continues to pray. He says this, I have given them the glory that you gave to me. There's a glory in unity. There's something so beautiful about a marriage that's unified, where a husband and wife are together on the same picture, uh, on the same page, even if the kids try to divide you. I was driving down the road with my wife, Stacy, a couple weeks ago, and I reached out to hold her hand. And, you know, the kids are sitting in the back seat, and all of a sudden, the kids have being silent the whole ride, not saying anything, not wanting to hold mom or dad's hand. As soon as I reach out to grab my wife's hand, my 20-month-old in the back seat starts asking for mom's hand. I'm like, come on, can I, can I just hold my wife's hand for a few minutes, okay? But, but there, there's a glory. Even though kids will try to divide at home, even though they'll try to stand between parents, there's security in that. 
There's security in a family that's unified and there's security in a church that's unified. Jesus says that same glory that exists between the heavenly father and the son, this unity, this eternal unity that has existed all the way in eternity in the past and will exist for all of eternity into the future. That's the glory that I want to be in my church, that they're one the same way that we are one. He says this, may they be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world, listen to this, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says, the same love that the perfect father has for the perfect son is the same perfect love that the perfect father has for his imperfect kids, you and me. That's good news right there. Let me say it one more time. The same perfect love that the perfect father has for the perfect son is the perfect love that he has for you and me as his imperfect children. And today what we need to understand in order to step into greater levels of unity in his church and as his followers, the first thing that we have to do is get to know the father's heart. Because I believe with all my heart that the more we know the love of God, the more we're going to be compelled to love one another. The more that we know the depth and the width and the height of God's love for us, the more that we will be compelled to love one another. Let me say it like this. The more we know the Father's heart, the more we're going to eventually love the Father's kids. Okay, let me ask it like this. How many of you are kid people? Just raise your hand, just out of curiosity. Now, there are kids in the service today, so everybody's going to raise their hand. How many of you, God's still working on your heart a little bit with kids? You're like, you know, I'm, I'm so, so. It's church, be honest, okay? A couple of you. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in between. I think there, there are some kids I really, really like, and then there's some kids God's working on my heart with. Some of them are mine. But, um, but there, there are some kids, you know, you, their conduct that they, they lends itself to you. Enjoy it. The Bible says a child will even be known by their conduct. Now, it's amazing, though, how some kids, you really like them and you want to be with them. And then there are some kids that you, you try to stay away from them. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see them come and you go the other way. You're like, all right, good to see you. God bless you. And what's, what's amazing, how often there is a correlation between your love for the parent and your love for the kid. Do you know what I'm saying? And you like the parent, you like the kid. You don't, you don't like the parent, you don't like the kid. Let's just be honest, okay? Can we be honest for a few minutes? You don't like the parent, you don't like the... It just it correlates. If you love the parent, you end up loving the kid. A couple of months ago, one of our uh, staff members, Felipe and Mandy Santos over at South Bay, had three kids. They wanted to have a basketball team in their home, so they adopted two more. So they went down to Brazil and they adopted two kids and they were, they were coming back to the States. We had been praying as a staff for them for, for literally six weeks while they were in Brazil and our whole staff went and waited at the airport for this family. And I saw these two boys that had been abandoned by their biological parents and there was this immediate love that I felt for these children that I had never even met because I love their parents. Because the love I had for their parents, it transcended to loving their kids. And what's amazing is every single one of us are the father's kids. Rich, poor, young, old, 
black, white, yellow, whatever color, whatever ethnicity, we are all created by God intentionally with the personality, the color of our hair, the color of our eyes, the things about his or her personality that you don't like very much. It's, it's the way that God designed them. And oftentimes it's amazing how the very people that God sent his son to die on a cross for, we can choose not to love them because of our differences. And in order for there to be unity in our hearts and unity in the church, the more that we get to know the Father's heart, the more we're going to start to love the Father's kids. And if there's something about our spirituality that we we think we're maturing, we're getting to know God more, we're studying Scripture more, but that knowledge is not transcending and transferring into the way that we treat one another, there's a gap. There's something wrong with our spirituality if it's not changing the way that we love and we care for one another. And so somebody here today, I believe, is here for a purpose to understand that there's a God that loves you, but he doesn't want that love to stop with you. He wants that same perfect love to go from you into the lives of other people. So we're going to get to know the Father's heart. We're going to seek his heart. We're going to pray after his heart that his love would impact the core of who we are to change the way that we relate to one another. But it doesn't just stop with getting to know the Father's heart. In fact, if we can go back up to verse 20 and 21. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, if you write in your Bible, will you circle the phrase so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying that when we're unified, it transfers literally to the entire world having a knowledge and understanding. And the second point that I'd like to make today in order for us to be unified is that we have to embrace the mission of Jesus. In order for us to be unified, not only do we have to get to know the Father's heart, but we have to embrace the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples, which was to get his name to the ends of the earth. And here's what happens. Literally, the mission unifies us and unity helps us accomplish the mission. Let me say it one more time. The mission unifies us and unity helps us accomplish the mission. It's amazing to me how often in churches, now I'm sure ALCF is different than South Bay, but in our church, people fight over some of the dumbest things and it's amazing how often our preferences stand in the way between us and the mission that God has has given to his people. It happens in my family too. I I thought not only when I became a pastor, church would get along, but I thought when I became a dad, kids would get along. Anybody felt, felt like that? Like, they're just going to get along. I'm going to have kids and they're, they're going to love each other. They're going to sing Kumbaya. They're going to hold hands walking down the street together. It's just going to be awesome. But, you know, it, somehow in the minivan, when we're all locked in the minivan, there's like this demon that comes out of everybody in, in, in our house. Now, I'm convinced of something. I don't believe that there are going to be kids in hell, but I do think there will be minivans. And here's what I think is going to happen. I think, I think that they are going to, they're going to lock people in minivans with, with kids, with a track of kids screaming, and they're just going to drive around the edge of hell for days. I think that, that I'm, that's, that's just my interpretation. So it's nowhere in the Bible, so don't, don't go looking for it. But, but in the minivan, it's amazing to me how often my kids will find such dumb things to fight over. 
In fact, Karis, my daughter, who's 20, 21 months old, sits on one side, and they, they fought, Sammy and Cademan, who are eight and six, would fight over who got the middle seat to sit next to Karis to hold Karis's hand. So literally, they, they fought, so we're like casting lots to get everybody to kind of work together. And so finally, we, we got a system where when we rode to one place, one kid got to sit in the middle, and then we rode back. But then something happened where one of the kids realized that he could control the AC if he sat next to the window. So it flipped. They would fight over the middle seat, but then they started fighting over the other seat because one kid wanted to sit in the other seat. It's unbelievable. I wish I could tell you that's all there is. I mean, they, they, they would fight over the blue cup, the blue plastic cup and the green plastic cup, but then it switched and it went from the blue cup to the green cup. So I said to the boys, I said, you're getting purple and you're getting pink and you're going to be happy. I promise you. It's amazing. And sometimes, sometimes I'm, driving, I'm driving down the road and I just, I just want to reach back and start doing like this right here. I don't care who I catch. As long as I catch some flesh, I'll be happy. It's just like, well, I can't, what, don't, make me, don't make me pull over. That's what I say. Any, any of your parents ever say that? Your parents said it to you? Uh, don't make me pull over this van. Because if I do, nobody's going to like it. But you know, sometimes I want to say that when I'm preaching. I'm like, don't make me pull over this sermon. Like, I can, I can see it. I can see it in their eyes on Sundays. I can see it. You know, they were, we were fighting on the way to church. We walked in. Everybody's like, how you doing? Good, good to see you. Happy to see you. Good morning, pastor. So good to see you. It's amazing, though, how much bickering and fighting over small stuff that we have in churches, in families. You know what's amazing, though? When you start fighting for what matters most, you'll stop fighting over what matters least. Let me say it one more time. When you start fighting for what matters most, you stop fighting for what matters least. And sometimes our problem in relationships is that we don't have a big enough purpose together. We don't have a big enough vision of what our lives, of what our marriages, of what our companies, of of what our kids could become. So we find ourselves fighting over such small, petty things that have the power to destroy us. And Jesus says, I pray that you would give them a common mission, a vision that they would collectively unify around. I heard a story of a church in Oklahoma. And this, this church started a brand new building. It had grown. The church was popping at the seams. They were building the building. And the church got in a fight over the color of the carpet. And when they got in a fight over the color of the carpet, the church divided. They could no longer pay for the bills, so they sold the church to a funeral home. And so the same place that was designed to bring life became a place of death. And God wants to say to some of us today that you you need a bigger vision of what your life could become and what this church could become. That when when we unify around this great commission that Jesus has given to us to get his love to every nation, tribe, and tongue on the face of the planet, something happens in the name of unity when we're moving forward. That's the best way to get a family unified, to get a church unified, to get a business unified, is when you have a vision that moves you forward. It just pulls all of the forces in the right direction. And it's amazing. Now, I know this doesn't happen again at ALCF, but it does at South Bay. We get criticisms. But, you know, I'm not talking about constructive criticism where people come and they have things that they think need to improve and we're going to help be a part of the solution. I'm just talking nasty criticism. It doesn't happen here, does it? 
Okay, I'm just, I'm just checking. But, but at our, our church, we, we get it. And you know, what's amazing, now I've learned not to, not to read all of it. Because I, w- I, would, I would go in on Monday morning, there'd be like 20 note cards of everybody that hates the church and hates me and doesn't like the fact that I don't like cats and make dumb jokes in my messages. And, and, and I'd read the cards and I'd, I'd be like, can somebody call a counselor, set me up an appointment? I was ready, I was ready on Monday to quit every, every Monday after reading all these cards. So I stopped, I stopped reading them. But every once in a while, one will get to me and I've, I've started to do this little trick. I'll say to the staff member, I'll say, okay, I want you to go back. You don't have to bring back to me what you find out, but I just want you to go back. And I want you to look at a couple of things. I want you to check their involvement. I want you to find out, are they giving? Are they serving? Or are, and are they on a team? You know what's amazing? Almost every time, you know what it is? No, it's a big fat zero. You know why? The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. I just said it. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's true. The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Now, at Raiders games, they come from every seat, but you know, that's another story. But, but it's true in church that the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats, that, that something shifts when there's involvement. When there's sacrifice, when, when you're giving, when you're serving, when you're on a team, those people come differently. They come with recommendations of how it can be better because involvement brings ownership. Ownership brings passion and passion brings about unity in the church. And oftentimes we're, we're on the sidelines watching as other people are engaged and criticisms being thrown, the popcorn's being thrown on the field when, when God wants to say, no, 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 climb out of the stands, get on the field and get about a mission that's bigger. You know, I, I heard a story. I'm sorry, I, I'm going on about this point because I'm so passionate about it. But, but I heard a story about a guy named Jim Collins. Level, uh, t- talks about this idea of level five leader. He says the difference between a level four and a level five leader. Level four is good, level five is true greatness. He was asked by one of my mentors, what's the difference between a level four and a level five leader? Now, this is one of the greatest gurus on leadership in our generation. He said the primary difference between a level four and a level five leader is that a level five leader, listen to this, this will preach right here, a level five leader is more concerned with the mission of their organization than their place in it. They're more concerned with the vision than their preferences. They're more concerned with a collective purpose that's higher, that they're willing to lay down their rights for the sake of something that's bigger than the here and the now. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of people I want in my church. Those are the kind of disciples that I want to build on. Now, I believe with all my heart, there's some folks like that here. There are some people that have that passion that are pouring their hearts out at ALCF and God sees you and he's proud of your faithfulness, of all of your sacrifices. But when we all get it, when we all understand this bigger mission, the mission of Jesus, it brings about unity in the church and we're going to march towards a vision that will make us one. Father, make them one so that the whole world would know that you are in me and I am in them and know that you have sent me. And then watch how he finishes his prayer. He says this, Father. Now, I want us to notice how often in this passage Jesus refers to his heavenly Father as Father. That's how God longs to be seen by you and me, as a perfect heavenly Father. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory 
the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. That's packed with truth right there. For eternity in the past, the perfect son had existed in glory, but he would leave his glory to come and tabernacle or live among us so that we could know the heart of the Father. And he says, I pray that you would give them unity, that they would understand and see that I'm not just an ordinary dude, I'm not just a miracle worker, I am literally God in human flesh, God in a bod that descended from heaven to live among people. I pray that you'd help them to see that. And then he says, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made known to them and will continue to make known you known in order that, listen, in order that, Jesus says it twice in this passage, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. Jesus says, I want them to be connected. I want them to have a common union together. I almost called the worship team this week and asked if we could do communion today. <laughs> Worked out great, didn't it? Sometimes, you know, sometimes God just wants to bring a message about it. Communion is not just about bread and juice or bread and wine. It's about a sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, but it's not called communion for any old reason. It's a common union around the death and resurrection of Jesus that makes us one. And he says, I pray that that love, that common union would bring them together, that they would be connected relationally. And the third point I'd like to close on today is this, that in order to be unified, we have to connect the dots relationally. We have to connect the dots relationally. For some of, that, for some of us, that means that we get engaged in community into growth groups or the small groups around here at ALCF, that we take the step to be in a smaller community of people that can support and encourage us. I got a membership to a gym a little while back, 30 bucks a month, and I thought that when I got a gym membership, I would get in shape, but it didn't work that way. I was watching the money go out of my account every month thinking, what's going on? I'm supposed, this is a gym membership here. I'm supposed to get in shape just because I have a gym membership. Now, having a gym membership doesn't get you in shape. You have to work out to get in shape. I was like, man, that's, that's horrible. You know, going to church doesn't give you community no more than, than the gym membership makes you in great shape or walking through the Apple store makes you a genius. It might increase your odds, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. See, see, we have to connect the dots to engage in community. And some of you, you've been coming for a while, but you're not connected. And maybe today is that day that you would take that step to move towards community. And then lastly, I want to just finish on this. Not only do we need to connect initially, but we need to reconnect what's been disconnected. And some of us have been disconnected from brothers and sisters over petty, small arguments. Sometimes they're big and significant, but they've pulled us apart from one another. And God wants to reconnect us today. In fact, Jesus would make another statement that I'd like to finish on today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. And he's talking about this same subject. He's talking about unity with his people. And they had understood that if you murder somebody, you're breaking the Ten Commandments. But Jesus takes it up a notch. And he says in this new covenant, 
in my family, it's different. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're singing songs of worship to God, you're, you're bringing your offering, you're at the church, you're at the temple, you're, you're there and you're worshiping God, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus says that there should be an urgency among us around unity, that we are willing to go to people that we have unreconciled relationships with and be made one again. Jesus, Jesus came to die on a cross to reconcile our relationship to God. He paid the sin. He paid the price so that we could be made one with our Heavenly Father, that sin didn't have to separate us, that the fall, the curse, didn't have to rob us of the life that God had created us to live. He came to pay the price for a vertical relationship to be restored. But the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just a vertical death, it's a horizontal death. And He came not just to reconcile us back to our Heavenly Father, but He came to reconcile us back to one another. In Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, when the prophet was talking about when the Messiah would come, he would say that this Messiah would take the hearts of children and return them back to the hearts of the Father, that they would be made one again. So God's will for us in our families, at our, at our homes, at our places of work, and, and ultimately at the church and in the church, is that we would be one, that horizontally we would be reconciled to one another so much that we would stop middle of the service middle of the worship middle of the offering and drop our gift and go and be made one and some of us have been praying for God's blessing on our lives for a long period of time and the reason that there's a lid is because there's an unreconciled relationship Psalm chapter 130, I, I want to read this to you. I said this was the last passage, but I'm, I was, was lying. Actually, God spoke to me after that and said, share this one too. So I'll blame it on God. Psalm 130, I want to finish with this. Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robes. It's as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, the Lord, for there, when we are one, for there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. Some of us are missing the favor of God on our lives because we're, we're unreconciled with a brother or a sister, maybe even a spouse. Maybe there's somebody you came to church with today that you need to reconcile with. Maybe there's a family member that you haven't talked to for years and there's this disconnected relationship and God wants to make you one. Maybe there's somebody in the church and a life group and a small group or growth group together that God's saying, I want you to reconcile with that person and be made one. We did this a couple weeks ago at our church and we gave people these little note cards and I asked people to write down on the note card what it was that God was asking them to do and then to bring it and lay it on the altar I went up after the service and I collected these cards and it blew my mind what I read I read people saying stuff like 
call my mom that I haven't talked to for decades, reconcile with my ex-spouse, clear it up with somebody in my life group. And it was this list that went on and on and on, hundreds of cards that had been laid as, as an offering before God to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it right. So I thought we could do the same thing today. In fact, inside uh, your program or when you walked in, you received one of these cards. Can you just go ahead and pull it out for a moment? I believe that God is bringing to mind for some of us today a relationship that needs attention. Maybe it's to apologize to a child that you abandoned years ago. Maybe it's to confess a sin that's been kept in the dark and in secret. And God's saying, bring that sin into the light today to tell somebody else. Maybe for some of us, it's a coworker that we need to shoot a text to. Maybe there's somebody that we need to call after the service today. But God is saying, don't go any further before you deal with this, before this one thing is taken care of. So here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to sing a song about unity. And I'd like to ask you to write down what it is that God's leading you to do. And during this song, to bring it up here on the altar or at the stairs and just lay it down as an act of saying, God, I'm going to deal with this problem in my life. To let God know that you are taking his command for unity seriously. Let me pray for us and then we will sing this song together as we bring our cards as an act of surrender before God. Jesus, thank you today for this church that you love. Thank you that the best days of what you want to do in and through the lives of the people gathered here today are ahead. And we know that your longing is that we would be one so that the world would know that you came, that you were here to reconcile us back to our Heavenly Father. And we pray that the same urgency, Jesus, that you placed on unity would be placed in our hearts and the same, same passion for us being one, that it would fill our souls, that we would be people who fight for unity in our families, that we would be people who fight for unity in our homes, in our, our places of work, and ultimately in your church. Jesus, stir in our hearts today to obey you, that we would take seriously your command to be one the same way that you and your Father are one. And I pray that in response to this that you would pour out your favor and your blessing that you would place your hand upon us today we pray these things in jesus name amen will you stand with us and as you're ready will you bring your card to the front and lay it down